Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Today, uh, I want to ask you to think about some things that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. But as you as you think about those things, uh, one of the things that is nice about this time of year is uh, a lot of folks like to go out and grill. I know uh, around the 4th of July, a lot of folks love to grill and People go outside and cook and, and on the grill. I know that's one of my favorite things to do is is to take some time and to cook on the grill when I can and, and have the opportunity. Robin's been wanting me to cook on the grill lately. She loves it when I go out there and char some meat and uh, cook on that grill. And uh, Whether it's gas grill or... Or if that's sacrilegious to you and it's only charcoal for you, what it doesn't matter either way. But uh, you know, why you're it's just something about the whole process of 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 cooking meat on the grill and and enjoying your time out there and in the uh, outdoors while you're cooking. It uh especially nice when you've got a nice cut a steak uh, to put on the grill and and it's just cooking away and and you're standing there and one of the nice things about a grill is is that uh, it, it uh, whether you're cooking hamburgers or steak or whatever it it, it has that smell of 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 charring meat and it just it's just something totally different from cooking inside isn't it i mean it it just it just uh it's just special even if you do something as sacrilegious as cook chicken on your grill um it 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 still makes it taste better it tastes good and 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 uh but one of the things that i remember uh when we first moved here we had the youth department of uh, the church up there at First Baptist come and uh, they came out to the house and we cooked uh, on the grill hamburgers for all the youth and uh, we must have gotten 10 pounds of hamburger meat and we cooked on that thing and I wasn't thinking about all of that uh, that I was cooking on the grill at one time and I was using a gas grill at that time, I believe it was, and and uh, all this grease from the hamburgers was just flowing down into the grill, and and uh, the next time I it, everything was fine that time that we were doing it, everybody enjoyed the hamburgers and everything. But the next time I took out the grill and started using it, I didn't think twice about just taking it out and start using the grill like I had so many times before and I, I don't know about you but I don't clean out the grill every time I use it. Now I clean the surface where you put the food but I, but that pan underneath had collected just an inch of, of grease 
must have been at least an inch. And so as I was cooking steaks or whatever it was, something must have fallen down and all of a sudden that that grease just ignited in fire and it, it was just a it's just a big old just a big huge wall of flame that that erupted from that. Um, but uh, whenever something like that happens, your first tendency is to do what? You want to sit there and just throw water on it, don't you? That's not a very good idea. No, no, no. Because what does that do? That just splashes the grease everywhere and spreads the fire. You you uh, sprinkle salt on it or... or uh, if you if it's too far gone, you you get some uh, uh, sand or whatever to sprinkle on the top of it. First thing you do though is you starve the fire. You t- you turn it all off and everything, and make sure that you're not going to continue to spread the fire. But what happens when you are doing that and just a little bit of grease falls on your coals? Sometimes you you'll. Uh, uh, It'll flare up a little bit and it'll burn your finger. Now, uh, say you're out there cooking on the grill and you're uh, going away and you've burnt your finger and you've got a nice big glass of of water, ice water, or a glass of lemonade and that you've been drinking while you're sitting there cooking. And what's your first tendency to do when you've uh, burnt your finger? You all of a sudden put it in that water, right? You do that because it douses out the the pay it causes it not to hurt as much it causes it not to to be on fire it causes it to to not burn as much and typically that's what you do whenever you have something catch on fire you want to put it out with with water but today i want you to think about this and terms of the fire of the Holy Spirit and and today we're going to look at it and it's not that fire that water puts out fire but that rather water increases the fire and so we're going to look at that for the last several weeks we've been looking at the Holy Spirit and how we have desired to have the Holy Spirit living in within us and causing us to be on fire for him and on fire for the Lord and we've been looking at at passages of scripture through the book of Acts to see how the first church was just ignited in fire of the Lord and uh, the fire of the Holy Spirit and today we're going to look at at Acts chapter 10 and we're going to look at at uh, a situation here in terms of how the fire of the Lord came upon believers and they were baptized. And so uh, we're going to look at that. Let's join together in prayer and ask God to bless us as we get our, our hearts and lives and minds right with God so that He can speak to us today. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray that in this time and this hour, Lord, that You would grant us permission to hear Your Word, that You would help us to hear the, the voice of the Spirit of God within our hearts and minds. Lord, that we would be either called to repentance and save a salvation or that we'd be called to the uh, to renew and rekindle uh, the fire of God within us that we might uh, live and serve you uh, and be renewed with you in our Christian walk each day Lord help us to live for you and exalt you with all that we have and realize that that our life is not our own once we give our heart and life to you but Lord that it is yours to lead us in the pathway of righteousness Lord guide us this morning in Jesus name we pray Amen
in your Bibles in Acts chapter 10. Uh, we're not going to read the whole chapter because uh, that would be just a little bit too lengthy. But let me just tell you the setting. Uh, Peter has uh, been serving the Lord and he's been uh, leading the church, early church and they've been going out and sharing the gospel with, with others and the church has been just growing exponentially, uh, but it's been growing amongst the Jews. And Peter is, uh, is not at home. He is uh, rather uh, somewhere else. But uh, the, the beginning of chapter 10 begins with a fellow by the name of Cornelius. Now, Cornelius is not a Jew. He's a Gentile. He is someone of well-renowned. Uh, He's known as someone who follows after God, even though he is not someone who is a, a Jewish individual. And he is doing everything he can to, to follow uh, God and to do what is right in, in God's eyes. Um, and he hears uh, the voice of God tell him that he needs to call for Peter to come and to speak with him. Uh, he tells him where Peter is uh, in Joppa. And so he sends a servant to go find Peter. Now, Peter in the process has been uh, there uh, visiting with other believers and he's had a dream and he's had... Uh, a revelation about what God wants him to do and to go to this uh, Gentile and to preach uh, to him and to teach him about God's Word. Um, he had a vision uh, and uh, he understood that, that God was calling him. To, and, and you remember what the vision was, right? There was this big sheet that comes down from heaven. There's all kinds of different animals on it. And God tells Peter, uh, go ahead and eat from all these animals. And, and Peter says, well, wait, hold up, Lord. There's some animals in here that are not uh, clean. There's animals that are not uh, the type of animals that I'm supposed to eat from. And God says, what I call clean, do not call unclean. <laughs> and Peter sees this more than one time and he, he wonders what kind of, of uh, vision it is and he's wondering what God is telling him. And then God tells him that Cornel, uh, Cornelius is sent for him and that he's to go and he goes and shares uh, with them. Um, and so the Holy Spirit... While Peter is, is preaching to them in verses 37 through 43, we see that, that, uh, that these Gentiles that have been followers of God, they, they find out what they're supposed to do to, to, to have Christ in their life and to become Christian. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them in verse 44. While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on uh, the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. And here's why it was astonishing, because everyone who's been getting saved that has had... Uh, 
has been getting saved up to this point have been Jews. And when they accept Jesus into their heart and life, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they've seen this, but they've not seen this happen to Gentiles. And so they were astonished that these Gentiles would accept Jesus as their Savior. They're astonished that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Um... And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speaking with tongues, in verse 46, and magnifying God. And then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commended them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So here's what's happening. The Gentiles, the Gentile believers have come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit has come and fallen upon them. They begin to speak in tongues and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is evident upon their life. And Peter says, hey, can we deny any of these the opportunity to, accept, uh, to have uh, baptism, to follow in believers' baptism? Now, it is a part of church life today. When someone comes and, and accepts Jesus and they walk down the aisle and they shake my hand at the end of the service, and you know whether it's a young child or a young adult or even an older adult, when they accept Jesus into their heart and life, what's what, what is expected of them? It's expected that once they walk down the aisle and, and, and have professed their, their faith, that they do what? They get baptized yes it's part of church life today that we just kind of expect it to happen but we have to remember that this is the early church this is not a time when when all of our customs of of church life have not been ingrained within now let's look at life before this period of time was there baptism yes John, uh, oft, uh, John, when Jesus was uh, just uh, about to begin his ministry, was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness, and he was calling people to repentance. Remember uh, in the Gospels it says that John was out and he says, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he was leading people to a, a baptism in the Jordan River. And that's when we see John and Jesus goes to John and gets baptized at that time. Now, the baptism that John was giving in the Jordan River there when he was calling people to repentance was a repentance baptism. It was not a believer's baptism. It was not something like what we understand. Now, it was baptism just like what we have. Uh, it was a baptism of immersion. It was uh, uh, where the people would go down in the water and come back up. But it was not the kind of understanding of baptism that we have. This was an outward sign of what they were committing to do in their life. And that was to repent of their sinful ways and turn back to God. Similar to what we do when we get baptized today, 
But it's still different because it was meaning that these people were already believers, that they had strayed away from God, that they had uh, desired to get right with God, so they repented of the things that they were doing. And as an outward sign of their repentance, they desired to be baptized and to be set apart so that people would understand the commitment that they were making. Similar to other uh, rituals that the Israelites had done throughout the past. Remember uh, when David sent out emissaries to a, a neighboring kingdom at the death of their king, uh, he sent emissaries to them and uh, they were disrespected by that other nation and they were uh, their beards were shaved and uh, part of their beards were shaved and their clothes were cut up and they were s- sent back to Jerusalem uh, and to David in disgrace. David said, don't even come by all the way back to Jerusalem. Go over here and purify yourself. They, cut off, uh, they shaved the rest of their hair off and they were to remain there for purification until uh, their beards grew back. Uh, similarly, uh, another ritual was is that uh, the, the Nazarites had a ritual of not uh, drinking wine and never cutting their hair. This was a, a, uh, a setting aside of individuals. So there were different rituals that were done. And this baptism that John was doing in the wilderness was similar. It was a ritual to show uh, to other people that something was going on in the life of that individual. So when Jesus comes on the scene, And Jesus comes and he tells John that he would like to be baptized. John says, no, no, no. That's not what we're doing here. He says, we're we're doing a baptism of repentance. He says, you're Jesus. You can't... uh, Now, here's the rational thought of a theologian in the 21st century as opposed to the thought of a theologian, John, during... uh, pre-first century. And that is, John's thinking, here is the Messiah. He's perfect. He can't possibly repent. That's what a theologian of today would think. Um, Jesus is, is coming and He's asking to, have, uh, to enter into repentance, uh, a, a, a baptism of repentance. You can't have a Savior who is totally without sin, repent because he's not done anything contrary to God to repent of. And so that's why Jesus, uh, John was trying to rebuff Jesus. He says, Jesus, look, you know, we, need to, we need to follow you. We need to do what you want us to do. We need to, uh, we, you're the Messiah. We can't, possi- we can't possibly baptize you in repentance. And, Jesus, and that's when Jesus says, I'm doing this not for repentance but that others following me will do likewise and so that's why we begin uh, to see believers being baptized at at, uh, Pentecost and afterward is because they are following in the baptism of Jesus Christ and so Peter he's uh, there and he's leading these 
uh, Gentiles to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they began to have evidence of the Holy Spirit come upon them. It says that the Holy Spirit pours out upon them, and they began to prophesy. Was this the first time anybody had ever prophesied? No. Was this, uh, uh, this was something that had happened many times before. Uh, Saul, the first king of Israel, even prophesied when the Spirit of God came upon him. There was a whole group of, uh, of people that were prophets that had the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon them. And, and uh, uh, Samuel says to, to Saul, look, you're going to go and you're going to uh, be just like those uh, prophets. You're going to prophesy. And when Saul uh, met up with them, uh, he begins to prophesy just like those uh, prophets there are prophesying. So uh, prophecy is not something that had never happened before, but what is uh, unique and different about it is is that everyone who's come to know Jesus as Savior has had the Holy Spirit pour out upon them. This was something that used to be reserved for only a, a, a brief while and just a, a certain few. But everyone who's coming to know Jesus at this time has the Spirit of God poured out upon them. And they're prophesying. They're speaking in tongues. They're doing all these different things. They're going about healing people. They're going and raising the dead. These are things that are happening to indicate that the Spirit of God is upon them and that God is moving. And so Peter says, hey, why are we to, to say that these Gentiles can't be baptized too? This is unique because this is the first time that Gentiles are allowed to be baptized. And uh, it is verification of the fact that the Holy Spirit has fallen upon them. Today, we, when someone comes to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we don't wait for evidence or proof of the Holy Spirit to pour, that the Holy Spirit has poured out upon them. We take people at their word that they've accepted Jesus into their heart and we, uh, we yearn to see the, the evidence of the Holy Spirit pour out upon them, but we don't say, okay, we're going to wait until you begin to prophesy or you begin to speak in tongues or you begin to uh, heal people or do other things that are evidence of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. We just automatically assume that the Spirit of God is upon them, right? We, we just take it for granted that the Spirit of God is on them. And we also just kind of go through the motions that we uh, say, well, if someone's accepted Jesus into the heart, we just expect them to go ahead and get baptized. But what I want to share with you today is, is that the Holy Spirit uh, coming upon someone is ev evidence of, of their faith in Christ and that God has been moving in their life and evidence of the fact that they have accepted Jesus into their heart and life. And so should baptism. Baptism, it should be... Now, we've told you time and time again when we've talked about baptism before, there's nothing magical in the waters of the baptismal pool. It comes out of the tap just like the water over there uh, at the annex in the ice maker and in the sink over there and uh, in the bathrooms over there. It's no different from any other water. It's just plain water that comes out. But what makes that water special? What makes baptism special? What makes it special is, is that it is first and foremost a, a sign of, of obedience. 
is it is it easy anymore now now when you're young when you're just a young person uh any excuse to go jump in water is is it's just you, you just especially in the summer you just always aching to go jump in a, in a pool a lake a pond or whatever right you can, it, it's not very hard to get a youngin to go jump in the water unless it's a saturday night and it's a bath right uh then it's a little bit more difficult to get them to go jump in the water they want to jump in there and jump out i was a little different i always loved to go get in the bathtub i, I always thought it as a personal swimming pool i'd go in there and i'd so when I was, you remember, I wasn't always this big. And so I was able to get in there and I'd, I was able to, I'd sink down underneath the water and I'd, I'd, I'd uh, uh, hold my breath and sink down in there and all that kind of stuff. I used to enjoy that. But at the older we get, the harder it is to get people to voluntarily get in the baptismal pool. Why? Because, well, I'm dignified. I can't possibly do that. I don't want to mess up my hair and have messy hair in front of everybody else or whatever it might be. Um, So to follow in believer's baptism and get into the baptismal pool is a sign of obedience first and foremost. Now, we've associated baptism with uh, being buried in Christ, the symbolism of doing that, of, of dying to self, being buried with Christ. And as Christ was laid in the tomb, we're uh, buried under the water, to, you know, quote unquote, buried under the water. And as Jesus Christ was rose, uh, rose from the grave the third day, aren't you glad I don't keep you under the water for three days? Yeah, yeah. We just symbolically do it. We don't lay you down and keep you under. Well, let's make sure that he's being baptized good. You want to lay, you want to keep some of them under there a little bit longer than others because you think they need a little bit more. But we don't leave them under there for three days. We lift them back up and and they raise the uh, out of the water in newness of life, just like Jesus rose from the grave three days later. And we are joined with Christ. And, but for the most part, that symbolism is all just so that we can understand and un, uh, the significance of what Jesus did for us. More than anything, baptism is about obedience, about following Jesus Christ, of doing the things that Jesus wanted us to do. Similarly, doing the Lord's Supper like we did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that is just as much obedience as following in believers' baptism. We're to do the Lord's Supper ever so often to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made and it's something we're called to do in, in remembrance of what Jesus did for us and the sacrifice that He made for us. And uh, all of this obedience is significant. It's significant because it's all about following Jesus Christ. Many of us, when we get uh, saved, we just take it for granted that the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We get baptized because that's something you do, just like walking down the aisle is something that you do. And for a lot of people, you just miss out on all the significance of what it is. But it's about turning your life over to Jesus Christ. If we said, okay, in order to be saved, you have to... um, you have to uh, put on shorts and then walk uh, and and then crawl across a broken glass 
or make a trek to the top of a mountain or something like that. For some people, that would be easier than some of the things that uh, Jesus Christ calls on us to do. Uh, We're to obey Jesus Christ, and obedience is paramount and key in the life of of the Christian to having the Holy Spirit. You want to understand and know why you don't feel the Holy Spirit in your life and when, why you don't uh, experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's because we lack obedience. We go through, we do the things in church. We come to church on Sunday morning out of obedience. We come together out of a desire to have the Spirit of God speak to our life. But for so many people, coming to church uh, uh, on Sunday morning, it, it's it, it's all about the ritual. It's all about the thing that we're supposed to do. In some churches, in some places, they have rituals that they do. They and and believe it or not, we do too. We uh, we don't consider them rituals like uh, they do in other churches. But guess what? Uh, we come together we say so many prayers we sing so many songs we stand up sit down stand up sit down and for a lot of people that's just as much as ritualistic as as it might be if we recited certain uh, uh, creeds or credos or if we uh, sat here and uh, uh spoke the uh, catechism or something like that those are rituals and they're not any more religious than anything else what is important and essential is coming to have fellowship with god and desiring to follow after him in obedience that's why we come together on Sundays to church, not to check a little box that says I'm a good Christian. I went to church. Check another little box. I, I, I you know, uh, there used to be. I don't know if if y'all have ever had them those uh, those offering envelopes that would have uh, the name of the church, and then you write your name in and then you check a box if you're attending Sunday school check a box if you're attending worship check a box if you brought your your uh, Bible check a box if you studied your lesson for Sunday school check a box if you uh, did any visitation all those things are good in terms of trying to remind us of the responsibilities that we have but for so many people uh, they still have a check box mentality I came to church I came to Sunday school check I gave an offering today check i came to worship check i came to discipleship training check uh you know it's not about checking boxes it's about obedience to jesus christ it's about obedience to following after jesus it's about what did jesus say to the rich young ruler when he came to him and said what do i have to do to be saved Jesus didn't say, well, make sure you check all your boxes. Make sure you have all your boxes checked and and make sure that you have perfect attendance at church every Sunday. And then you'll be saved. No. Why is it that we think that today? Jesus said uh, to give all of your possessions away, uh, to rid yourself of all the things that you think are important is what he was saying, wasn't he? He was saying, look, your riches, your wealth is what you prize the most. Give up what you prize so much and instead prize your relationship with God. Prize, uh, pr- uh, make sure that you value the things of God. Take up your cross. Be willing to sacrifice of yourself and follow me. 
And too often we've got a society and a world in which we think salvation is about walking down the aisle. Salvation is about shaking the pastor's hand. Salvation is about saying certain words when you pray with the pastor. Salvation is about being baptized. None of that is essential for salvation. What's essential is obedience to God. What is essential is following after Jesus Christ. What is essential is laying aside all the things of this world and being willing to sacrifice to follow after Jesus Christ. That's the essentials of salvation. That's the essentials of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Those are the essentials that we need to have in order to have the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. The reason we don't feel the Spirit of God moving is that we're not willing to let go of the things of this world. We're not willing to let go of the things that we prize so much and value so much and to take up our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we'll just simply put all those things aside and do away with those things and simply do our very best to follow after Jesus Christ and sacrifice so that we might have a relationship with Him. It's not about uh, sacrifice. It's about casting aside all the things of this world and only devoting ourselves to God. Amen. What did we dis- uh, study today in Sunday school? We studied today in Sunday school about Asa, the king who put aside all the things of the, of his uh, ancestors, all his father and all those that went before and uh, devoted himself to God and was an example to the rest of the nation of Judah to follow after God. And that's what we have to do today to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Today to have the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. We've got to put aside all the things of this world. Put aside your smartphone. Put aside all the things you think are uh, invaluable like your relationship with others or your job or anything else. Don't allow any of that to have precedence in your relationship to Jesus Christ. Don't allow things to take importance in your life more than your relationship to Jesus Christ. Allow the Spirit of God to speak to you rather than Siri to speak to you. You need to allow Jesus Christ to have supremacy in your life rather than your status on Facebook or your status on Instagram or your status in Snapchat. You need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ more than anything else in this world. And you need to allow the Spirit of God to move in your life. That's how we have a church on fire. That's how we have... Look, this is the last sermon on this topic and some of you are saying, well, thank the Lord we finally come to the end. And But listen... If we had a church on fire for the Lord, we wouldn't have to have it. If we had a church that was on fire for God and doing everything... Look, we come to church as if it is an inconvenience to us. And we come to church as if it is an imposition on us. And look at us. Pat myself on the back. I spent three hours at church this week. I went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Look at me. Pat me on the back when we ought to be saying to ourselves, we had the opportunity to set aside 
that time to spend with God and devote to Him. And it should be the culmination of a whole week of spending time with God, spending time in worship of God in our homes, spending time in worship with our families, spending time in worship of God so that we could grow closer to Him. And it should be a time in which God enriches us because of our relationship to Him and the time that we spend. Look, we the one of the main reasons why it's so important for us to gather together is because the power of the Holy Spirit is strong in this place because we come together and God is present here with us and we are worshiping Him Him, and God is moving in our lives. It's not simply because we can check a box but because God is here and we're hearing His voice and He speaks to us and He moves us and directs us It helps us to grow closer to Him. And so that's what my desire has been for you uh, these several weeks. We've been studying this so that we could grow closer to God, have a closer walk with Him, and so that our lives can be enriched. We've also been doing this so that, that as a church that we can be excited for God in our life, excited about what God is doing, that we would share with others about the excitement of what the Spirit of God is doing in our lives and that we would share it with one another and that God's, the Spirit of God would move in this place so that we would be moved to serve Him. We've been doing this study so that when we get off the track, when we kind of feel as though our, uh, you know, we had a downpour of rain the other day, and, and if we had to rely on building a fire in order to cook our supper, we'd make sure that we had some dry wood, wouldn't we? We'd make sure that we had some wood sheltered. Why? Because it's hard to get the fire going when your wood's wet. And there's a lot of us that our wood's wet and we haven't been uh, ignited by the power of the Spirit of God because we've been, uh, our wood's wet because we've been allowing this world to get us further and further away from God. And we have been doing this so that when we come into this place that, that our hearts are warm, that our relationship with Jesus Christ is enriched, that the Spirit of God is moving in us to the point where our, our wood gets ignited, that we get excited and that we carry the Spirit of God out of this place and to the world that needs Him so much. So let's pray.